Women Bridging the Gap is a freewheeling conversation podcast co-hosted by myself, Lenya Wilson, a black woman, and Alexandra Titalia, a white woman. Lenya, you followed her on Instagram. That's you know how this happened? No. Funny story. My coach, the coach I have right now is a trained strongman. And he followed Andrea. And when we started training for powerlifting, we were looking for, he was, you know, he understood representation matters as far as seeing women that are doing what you're doing, that are strong. And he gave me a list of women to follow and Andrea was one of them. And then on another side note, Shane, my husband is a strong man fan. So we would watch your videos and, you know, when you did your records and your Rogue Invitational, we do all of that. We watch all of that together. Plus, my husband owns a CrossFit gym and you have done CrossFit workouts on your Instagram as well. So there's all these like little parallels that led me right to Andrea. (laughs) But it was really nice of, of my coach to give me all of these female athletes to follow to help me with my journey because it was kind of a bit of a struggle going from CrossFit to powerlifting as far as like my, the way I train, how my body composition was going to change. I totally agree with that. I was fairly small when I started, so strongman, uh, just coming from CrossFit. So once I transitioned, my body changed a lot. So I, I was putting on a lot of muscle and I was eating a lot. So I looked really buff and then I got quite fat. I was kind of being a heavyweight athlete. I didn't think I needed to watch what I was eating. So, I, yeah, my body changed from just being average to being muscular to being large. And it's taken that time to kind of find a middle ground. <laughs> yeah. So, oh, well, I already know what I'm going to ask now. So w- w- this is too exciting. I, so let's, let's start. start. So welcome, everybody. On today's episode, we have Andrea Thompson, Strong woman, crossfitter, deadlift record. You also have the record now for the log press, right? I do. Yes, I do. For now. <laughs> <laughs> like strongest woman in the UK. Four okay. times Britain's, four times Britain's strongest woman. So yeah, that's not four bad. Four times. Yes. Yeah. So wow. There you go. Everyone, we have the queen on the show. Thank we you do. So much. And I have so many questions. What's a log press? (laughs) (laughs) So a log is basically using a strong man. So it's a long cylinder object with some handles inside. Like a log. Almost (laughs) like a barbell on the sides because you can add weight. Add weights to it, yeah. So it it can even actually be made out of a tree log. They just put handles in, in the middle of it and it's just cling to the the press the, the chest and then it's just pressed overhead that's the log press <laughs> is that the best way to describe yes, it yes I, I understand <laughs> okay. it I mean I did sort of because I am an anglophile but sort of of the king arthur time so then I, of course I'm imagining like people in medieval dress cutting down a tree and saying who could pick up the biggest log but I'm sure that's we where pretty much do from. that anyway yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we do that <laughs> But with the log press, are they the, like the same rules as like when you're doing an Oli competition about the lockout of the arms and things like that? I mean, I don't know the rules because I don't, I, I'm not a strong man athlete, but I did notice like you had a judge that was looking at your form. And so what are those rules? So you have to stand with your feet together in a, just like a standing position and arms fully locked out. 
So when I did the log record, my coat, the judge was actually, it was based on a Zoom call. So I just had a laptop in front of me and he was in Lithuania uh, at the time. So there was a delay. So not only did I have to maintain that lockout for just the lockout, I had to maintain it for the uh, the little the drag between the time. So it's an extra couple of seconds I was holding this. Like, I was like, hurry up. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, the, the lockout is it's, it's, uh, elbows locked out above your head and feet together. And it was the same for the deadlift because I watched that on, on TV as well. Yes, that's exactly the same. How much do you deadlift? So the record I did was 290 kilos. Uh, that was the one in the summer. I did the Arnold Elephant Bar. That was 282 kilos. When did you begin doing this? Like lifting uh, seriously? So seriously, I've been lifting about three years, but I've been in the strongman world for nearly six years. You know, it was just it, coming from CrossFit because there is a little bit of lifting in there. And I didn't like the fit side of CrossFit. So I was like, let's do some strong stuff, some heavy lifting. And I was persuaded to move away from CrossFit and try some sort of strength sport. And I combined the two for a little while and it just doesn't work. So so I've been lifting strong women for about six years, but seriously for about three. Wow. And what, were you always an athlete or was this, what spurred you to get into it? I need uh, to know. <laughs> No, I wasn't. So I was around the time uh, my child was a couple of years old. I, my sister was getting married. We both wanted to lose a little bit of weight. We tried the fitness thing backwards and forth, had, you know, gym memberships that neither of us paid for. And we just decided to try something together to see if it helped. So we joined the local CrossFit class and it was like a 10 o'clock in the morning class. So, you know, everyone had gone to work and it was like mums that were doing the class and all the kids had gone to school some like-minded people in this class and it went on from there so I've never been an athlete I did a little bit of shot put and javelin at school but that's about it (laughs) but isn't that how CrossFit like that's it just gets you in it really gets you in I mean because it works yeah it does and it's fun and you get this community and you're so lucky you got to do it with your sister so that kind of also keeps you in the family yeah definitely yeah it was a Strange time because I hadn't even planned on on doing anything special. You know, we just wanted to stick to an exercise. You know, it wasn't anything that we planned, you know, ahead. We just wanted to do something that we would stick to. And doing it together, it just, it gave us a bit of competition, sibling rivalry. Yeah, which was of course. Good. It was good. So, yeah. <laughs> so, okay. So just some basics. So where in England are you? So I am on the East Coast, right down the bottom, about an hour away from London. Okay. All right. Alex loves the UK. Oh, okay. She would live there. Bristol. I want to live in Bristol. In Bristol. They've got a funny accent down there. Oh, we'll see. (laughs) I have my funny accent, so I would fit right in, but I'm not moving anytime soon. I mean, I have a lot of questions, but they're all very basic. You know, what's your cultural background? Like growing up in England, like basic things like... But those are important questions for our audience because our audience is all about, you know, race and womanhood. Yeah. So especially since, I mean, obviously what's really interesting to me is that Lenya and I just had a whole conversation that's coming out um, on the podcast about the, 
Oprah Winfrey's interview of the Prince and Meghan Markle. And I, you know, we had this whole conversation because Lenya had a lot of feelings about it. It turns out I had a lot of feelings about it too, but we talked through everything. But the idea is I'm kind of interested to know, and we'll talk about weightlifting and, and stuff too, but I'm kind of interested to know what was your reaction to all of that? I didn't actually watch the the interview. I I didn't need to be honest. The yeah, social media yeah. had just gone crazy. The news over here was all over it. Like you couldn't get away from it at all. And I mean, I can see it from his point of view because obviously, when Princess Diana passed away, it was tragic for the whole family. And all he wants to do is look after his wife and his child and not repeat history. I can see that. So I didn't. I think because I didn't watch the video, I watched the interview. I didn't really get too involved in the kind of racial side of it, although I understand that it was that she did mention that, that the Queen there was sort of racism within the family, and that doesn't surprise but me. Did you kind of have that? Did you kind of? I mean, like you were boots on the ground, like during the wedding and everything that was going on over there. Did you have a sense of the media kind of creating a villain out of her? And yes, definitely. It, it was. We've got certain um, newspapers and news teams who are very obviously prejudiced. You know, they just, it's all tabloid controversy. You know, they do it for the buys, basically. And what they were portraying was that she was like this black hoodlum from America who was coming to ruin our monarchy. And, you know, and they were dragging up her family, her dad, that she was from a broken family. And this is what what, what the monarchy is about. And we like stable families and all this kind of drama. And I was like, whoa, first I was oh my goodness, we're going to have a brown um, baby within royalty. This is really exciting. And not only that, we don't have a brown baby. The baby's not brown. The baby's not brown. (laughs) This is it. Yeah. It was like, really? But it was... (laughs) That was the excitement, you know, that for me, that was how I saw it, you know, that we, that they are trying to change what should be in in inverted commas in the Royal family. You know, this is a new day and age. It's things are changing, things are moving on. So I, for one, was excited that we were to have a brown person, but I could see what was happening because you just know that's just not what they wanted (laughs) at all. So it was a shame. No, but it's like interesting, like that a lot then of Lenya's perceptions, like even from here, we're spot on. Lenya, you were spot on. But I do really find that I think it's the media that yeah. likes to create drama. Yes, mm-hmm. they do. And again, it's it's just for the it's just for the attention, isn't it? You know, people are they're gonna drum up these terrible headlines, people are gonna buy it, and it's money, isn't it? It all just comes down to money and then what they can cause but again they're being sued so they make up these headlines and then they're being sued for them so it doesn't really help at all things that you know the thing is about litigation everybody always forgets it's not a crime it's just money right so part of the part of the idea of this is they're like well it's worth it if we sold x amount of magazines Mm -hmm. and we're gonna have to pay out this much in penalty money we still make a profit like it just gets considered in the budget. And that's just, it's sad, but it's true, you know, and that's. It also says something about the public, the people in the UK that they're consuming this, they're paying for this, right? So Mm -hmm. it tells you that there, there is a lot of racism that they're buying into this. 
Yeah. yeah. Just your regular everyday people. I mean, and the fallout, this was the thing that bought, that was to me, the biggest story was the fallout after the Piers Morgan. And that turned into the Sharon Osborne situation that we have going on over here. You know what I mean? And it just shows you the implicit bias that everybody has in the media. Yes. Because that so, video of Sharon Osborne, if I was in the audience, I'd have gotten up and slapped her. I didn't know about that's something I haven't seen or heard of the Piers Morgan thing. Yes, I saw that, and I was, but he's a, a typical. So what I was mentioning about this is certain channels, certain media, who Piers Morgan is very outspoken, and sometimes he speaks the truth, and he will go up against our politicians and, you know, tell them everything, you know, give them the public's point of view. But on that occasion, I don't think that was the public's point of view. That was his point of view, and he needed to go. He knew yeah. what he'd done, and he needed to go. So well, he, he, Sharon Osbourne defended him on TV, and oh. then screamed at her black co-host about where is the racism in that? And the video. So she basically, not only was she being very rude to her um, black co-host, but she then demanded that her black co-host educate her on what is racism. In this video. Wow. On national TV. Wow. And then after she, I guess this, the show got brought down for a, a couple of weeks while they investigated because obviously, you know, American public went batshit over uh-huh. it. The, they decided to part ways because Sharon Osborne's views do not align. It, it came out about a lot of other racist incidents that she had with other co-hosts that have since left the show. All okay. of them just came out with statements. I mean, and it was not just black co-hosts. It was Asian co-hosts. She's just racist. So they said, you know, she doesn't align with our views. We're parting ways. She got paid a ridiculous amount of money. And now the stupid bitch is, is I'm so bad. Sorry, Andrea. I'm a New Yorker. <laughs> now she's suing them. Oh, of course. Well, everything okay. always ends up in because litigation. Litigation. But, you know, so there's a lot of fallout. There's been a lot of fallout uh, from it. But I mean, I also think there's been fallout in the UK as far as like now the family has to address this situation. Another shocking bit of this interview was finding out that Harry and William haven't spoken. And then there was all of this other weird rumored tabloid situation that William had cheated on Cade. And I I don't know, like it was just there's a lot of fallout now within the family. Andrea, or are you as obsessed with the Royals as Americans are? No, actually, I'm not. <laughs> I just don't do media too well, to yeah. be honest. It's just, especially Ooh. during this last year, because there is nothing else for anybody to do except go on social media, read social media, cause drama, look at drama, obsess yeah. over what's going on in the world. It's so toxic and you just don't know what to believe. And I'd just yeah. rather not look at it and just, yeah. you know, believe nothing than just so, what's... That leads me to a question. How do you handle, because you're famous, how do you handle that <laughs> in, in, you know, looking at social media and, you know, that there's that Instagram handle, you look like a man that will uh-huh. take, you know, that will take the horrible things that um, men say to women and post them and shame the men into, you know, for the horrible things they say. And I suspect, because I don't read the comments on your videos, I just like them and watch them, but <laughs> I suspect that there would be those awful comments as well every now and again. How do you deal with that? Strangely, I don't get many of those negative comments. I get occasionally, very occasionally. And it was actually in the earlier days, 
I got more. So in the it, sort of in the last three or four years, I haven't really had any. They'd be a little bit creepy. I'd have a few creepy ones. Mm. My my sort of diehard fans who just are just creepy. I just ignore them, to be honest. I do. I ignore them. If there's if they're a little bit like below the belt, then I'll just block them. Now, you look like a man thing. The platform. I'm a little bit on the fence with that because yes, when they first started, I was like hundred percent all in and was really appreciating what they were doing and highlighting the crap that we get as women, you know, not just in the strength sport, but in sport itself. But sometimes I find that the trolls become the trollers, the abuse, the abused become the abusers, you know, and I just don't know how far into it it goes because I think recently, most recent one is a guy had called out because there was there's, uh, the rape situation. We've had a woman who who got attacked by a police officer. He posted something about 20 stone women deserve to be raped, basically. They went after him and also went after his girlfriend, who is a powerlifter, and got her removed from the federation that she was competing in. Now, whether it was them directly or it was because they have a lot of followers and I think all they have to do is just say, a sentence and then their followers will just ambush yeah uh, that is something that I can't get on board with so whilst I kind of agree with the platform that they've built to expose what, what we have to deal with you kind of have to think a little bit logically about this it's not the girlfriend's fault really is it so you know I'm a, I'm a little bit unsure about it about that platform however the abuse doesn't really come that that thick and fast with me comments don't really come a great deal with me however I do find that this is probably a subject we'll talk a little bit more on that the I don't get as much attention as my white counterparts Mm. I do find that my achievements get overlooked quite a lot and this was only actually really brought to light about two years ago when I met Monica at the Arnold's Monica Johnson and she was like all over me I can't you know just want to thank you for representing you know black women in the sport and there aren't you just have there are no women like you in the sport especially at your level and until that point I had paid no attention to me being the only black woman in the sport (laughs) I wow. didn't know. I had no, I hadn't thought about it at all. And I think that's because. Can of, actually, yeah. Can I unpack yeah. that? Is the reason you didn't notice it is because you're always used to being the only person? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Everywhere. Because I, where I live and growing up, you know, there are, there've been very few black kids around. And so I've always stood out. I've always been the only black one in the crowd. I've always been the, the black one out of my friends. I haven't, I didn't really get much abuse as a child. I mean, you, you get the odd child remark from kids that don't really know any better, a couple as an adult. But if I did, I've kind of been taught to just ignore them because Mm -hmm. I just can't be bothered to do it. I'm so chilled and laid back. I'm like, I just can't be bothered. If that's all you've got to say to me, then you need to go and get re-educated. You're clearly not as clever as you think you are. So within the sport, yeah, it didn't really come to light until Monica kind of was all over me. And I was like, actually, you're right. And actually, now now you come to think of it, this is probably the reason why the promoters don't put my face on all the front of the uh, the promotional things. This is the reason why some of the promoters would rather play, put second or third place up on their videos and their social media platform rather than me, who's just won the event. When I won Brit- World's Strongest Woman, the following year went back as the reigning champion. There were no photos of me for the first two days oh. from all the photographers and I, I let rip because I was really pissed off anyway and I let rip into one of these photographers I said do you actually have any photos of the current champion rather than just the favorites oh you know these, these people are my friends I don't care you can't be a photographer for an event 
and only photograph your favorite people. That's not how it works. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so from, it was from then that I've really sort of taken a step back and, and looked and realized that this is the fir- for the first time in my life, my color seems to be an issue. Yeah, but I thought I've realized. Well, it's, it's probably the first time that it's you. It's bothered you because yes. it's probably always been an issue. My dad is very much um, into black culture, so we have to work harder as black people. We have to do this, and so since moving away from that kind of cultural side, and we live more in the country. My mum doesn't have that view. She's if you have to work hard because you have to work hard. It's not because of the colour of your skin. And that's the view that I've taken. If I've not got something, it's because I haven't done it properly or I haven't worked hard enough. Never have I considered it's been because of the colour of my skin. But when your dad, when you say your dad's really into black culture, because when I hear that, I'm like, okay, does that mean that he's looking to, you know, ancestry? Is he looking to to the, the cultural? Or is he looking in that sense that where I see so many, especially black women, here in Los Angeles thinking like black excellence. It's a culture of black excellence because we need to do triple the work in order to, you know, to get half as far in, in that sense. And, or was he doing both? Was he sort of embracing both? I really, I think it might've been both to be honest. I think as I sort of growing up as a teenager, you're confused about everything anyway. And, you know, whenever I did see him, there was definitely a cultural difference despite him being my father, because of the areas that we lived in, there was definitely a cultural difference. I didn't see the things that he saw. So where did he grow up? So as a child, he was brought up in London. He's obviously been around lots of things that have gone on. And I haven't. I've been, you know, I have a field as as my view out of my window and (laughs) I see cows and sheep everywhere. (laughs) So I'm I'm wrapped up in cotton wool and I I realise that now. But I actually said to my mum, after the uh, the cultural clash that happened over there last year, I said to my mum, I said, do you know what? I don't know anything about black history. I said, all we got taught at school was that Martin Luther King had a dream and Nelson Mandela went to prison. I said, I don't know anything about anything. And that's all we're taught in school Yeah, over here. Unless you are within the urban schools, then I think it's a little bit more because you've got lots of different cultures going on there. So they mix it up. So... I don't know anything, you know, that, and that's why I feel like I have such a blasé view about race because I'm like, I, d- I don't really know. I've not had any struggles. <laughs> well, I mean, there is, I mean, here's what's interesting, right? Is So I, when I think about that is like not concentrating on that has given you the ability to have a little bit more joy because you're not seeing the things mm-hmm. that happen. I mean, and I'm not saying I don't want anybody to say, well, that's not a good thing. I mean, it is, but there is that, but there is something really beautiful in that, that you were able to just have a childhood. Do you know what I mean? And experience the racism that you experienced, but let it glance off you the way a bully would glance off you, Mm -hmm. you know, the way, even as for all of all three of us as women, like as young girls, you know, we get bullied. Do you know what I mean? In ways. And we just let it glance off of us. We don't really think, well, that's just because I'm a girl, you know, that we don't think of that. It's just things we experience and that you got to sort of have it's, it's, it's strange, isn't it? A little, there's a special moment in it, right? Yeah. There's a special I, moment <laughs> in it. What pisses me off about American education is that 
there's this moment where we learn about Martin Luther King, where we're like, we're going to learn about black people. And then there's this, then there's this whole special lens that's brought up with it, which if it were just folded into our American history, so it's just part of the story, the long story of, of American history, and we just sort of owned it, I feel like there would be less of a lens on, now we're going to do Black History Month and think all about Black people, and let's put the spotlight on everybody. Like, instead of it just being the fabric of history, because that's for me, and we talked, Lenny and I talked about this before, there's something systemically racist mm-hmm. about having regular history and then uh-huh. Black History uh-huh. Month, right? There, there's That's just systemic, especially mm-hmm. since we're, it's especially Black people not even talking about the great amount of immigrants who've come over, but Black people came over at the same time. Do you know what I mean? Like they mm-hmm. have interlaced with colonial, interlaced with the colonial times for us. Black history is American history. Exactly. I mean, chronologically, there but are- Black st- history is also British history because colonial yeah. history is, yeah. so in that same yeah. vein, you can't talk about British history without talking about- Black history. The Black mm-hmm. history, Indian history. There's no way because the British empire- it was humongous. Asian you, history. Yeah, absolutely. So it's it's sort of, that's where I think we need to sort of change when we talk about histories, to find that balance so we can grow up aware, but not grow up scarred. Like, I think that's that's sort of the, that would feel really be the goal. Yeah, I agree. It's really, just like when you mentioned about the scars, I since I've kind of noticed these things going on, I feel like I don't have the scars, but I can see the scars of others. Yeah. And, you know, I almost, at one stage, I actually felt bad for not experiencing a lot of the things that I've been hearing about. And I was like, should I have been experiencing these things to to help me understand why everyone's so angry? You know, I got very angry in, in June last year with George Floyd. And that was the first moment for me that I felt passionate about being a black woman about being a black person because I was like that would not have happened if that was a white guy and I knew that and you know what that caused arguments with myself and my husband who is white wow to the point that he's no longer here not I didn't kill him he's just moved out (laughs) (laughs) he moved out I couldn't take what he and we've got two children and the one is blonde hair and blue eyed so she looks white she's just a little bit darker and the other one is um, kind of olive skin and his attitude was rubbing off on them. And I was like, wow. you are married to a black woman. You cannot be saying those things. You've got black children. You've got mixed race children. They need to understand that their mom is black and that there is history there. Mm-hmm. It, yeah. Oh, I was so angry. So upset. Wow. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But you know, I just want you to know that you're not alone. This has happened to so many families across, especially across the United States. You'd yeah. be surprised. I mean, I'm not that my husband and I have had arguments about it, but we've had a lot of discussion. My husband's mm-hmm. also why we've had a lot of discussions, but my husband lovingly is, is willing to do the work. But there's a lot of people I know. You are mm-hmm. not the only one. I think you may be the 10th person I have heard this story from. Really? Wow. Yeah. Wow. I, that's good. I, I, that's good because I did feel like, you know, how could this cause the separation how could something like this cause the separation but 
It well, I think just... it's really an understanding of, I mean, I have no idea of the specifics, but when Lenya and I had our first podcast, we had a conversation and Lenya said something like, we're all racist and like all of us. And, and then yeah. everything is about unlearning. And I, that was hard for me to handle as like a hippie chick growing up in the seventies, like with my parents who were activists saying, what? But it's really true. And if you just think about our tribal brains, like our reptilian brains, we are mm-hmm. hardwired mm-hmm. to protect our family and to be xenophobic. Like that's, that is, it is the animal, it is the primal reptilian brain. So the idea is in civilized society, we need to undo, like undo that work. And part of then the next step though is to really then understand what privilege really means because mm-hmm. it's, you know, you see these, even just the concept of history, right? When you just say, well, we call it U.S. history and then we have Black History Month, but U.S. history is Black history. Do you see the messaging in that? You know, and when you start to look at everything in society, in the 90s, it was really popular to sort of talk about representation. And that's when so many books were redone to show a rainbow of people in color and which was necessary. But we thought, oh, we're done. You know what I mean? We're finished. We, you know, we have the little engine that could no longer has little blonde kids in it. It has more people in it. We got Obama. We got Obama. Like (laughs) we're finished. And nobody's really seeing how ingrained it is completely packed into society. Lenya and I talk about code switching all the time, right? So, and I have a student who just laughs. She's, you talk about code switching. And I'm like, yes, we do. But even talking about code switching, if I were to say interview someone and they didn't code switch, I've been thinking about what would I hire that person? Would I not hire that person? Because am I, do I, am I equating formality in speech is that white privilege talking? Do you know what I mean? I've really begun doing that hard work of saying, okay, wait a minute. Like I'm saying, speak correctly. And I'm like, but what's correctly? Mm -hmm. You know, like it's really undone. You know, and then a part of me says, okay, well, we just need to decide something needs to be correct and something needs to be incorrect. Trust me. Like I can, you know what I mean? I can run, I would say, all right, well, we just need to decide this is it but who's they decide, right? So you could start like this spiral of unpacking where systemic racism is. And then I can't even understand how you would do that in a mixed race blended family unit where you have, where you're co-parenting children together and you're like, wait a minute, you know, like, where's the, what's the privilege? Cause Mm -hmm. it's, that's tough. So I, I just have great empathy for you, but I'm also, I mean, I'm really proud of you for standing up and honestly, it was across the pond and you were, and the thing is, you're right. It wouldn't have happened to a white person. It just wouldn't have. It was just, I think it was the violence of it. It was just, and and I I heard about it and I refused to watch the video for a long time. No, I, I saw a glimpse of it and that's it. That's enough. Because even the radio stations, they were playing the audio and I was like, to turn it off. I couldn't, just couldn't do it. It gave me goosebumps every time I heard about it. Even now the inquest is on. I still can't hear the witness sort of testimonies that they're replaying on the radio. It just sends chills through my body, you know. So 
And then there's this, I was just going to say, and then there's this added layer of in America, the words murderer and policeman never really gel together. So you also have this fear or I have this fear in the back of my brain that, yeah, we're watching the trial, which I'm trying not to watch because it's very upsetting to me. Mm -hmm. Um, Watch the, the trials happening, but what happens if he gets off? Yeah. Right, because then what, and you're almost expecting him to. We're almost yeah, expecting we're all him expect- to. I mean, we watched Rodney King yeah. get beaten to a pulp, and then all of those policemen get off. All of yeah. them, as a black person, and I'm sure, as um, black people across the United States are all holding their breath for this and hoping for the. We're, we're hopeful because we have a new administration. We have we have almost a new ideology here in the United States, but it's still the United States. And the United States in 2021 has given us two of the most American situations with the man walking with a a, a Confederate flag and then one of our Black representatives in Georgia being arrested for doing her job. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? So those are the two most American photos of 2021. And that tells you that we're still in this place. And I'm fearful. I'm very fearful that we're going to turn in. And and I think because the world is watching, I think it's going to turn into the summer that we just had, but on steroids, if this man gets off. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's funny. I was talking with my dad. My dad's a retired judge. And so he's been watching. I mean, he's in his eighties and this is, he's been watching and he's looking at it from like he's watching the lawyers, right? I mean, that he's interested to see what the lawyers are doing. And my thing was, I just don't understand why this went to trial. Like in a normal case, something like this would just be, it would be a plea bargain, right? Because you have the video, you know what I mean? It's just done. And there would be a plea bargain and the person would, and this is especially true if the perpetrator had been black, if the defendant was black, like it would be pressure to do a plea bargain unless the person were wealthy, like OJ Simpson. But here we have, it is, it is just, and I, obviously the person wouldn't, it was going to be a lot of time in prison. So the person's I've got nothing to lose. I'm sure that's why here we are at the trial, wasting taxpayer money. And, and they, I do agree with Lenya. It's, they're going to be hoping for jury nullification, like mm-hmm. in that sense where they're just going to say, I just, or like a much lesser charge, you know, and that's, and it's, and I do think you're right. If something, if, if it doesn't, if it's not a just result, there'll be mayhem in the streets. There will, that it'll be. And the fact is that this was caught on video. So the thing is for us, is you just know this happens so much more. Yeah. I, it's to the point where in the law school, I teach a lot of criminal law problems and a lot of the criminal law problems, quite frankly, it's poor. I mean, the people who are the defendants are usually poor, even if they're white, but usually I have to say a person, it's a person of color. And I've been thinking twice about like, how do I do that? Right. Cause how triggering is it always to be like, Oh, it's just another black person who's a defendant here. It's just another black person who's a defendant here. And I've thought about changing the surnames and the problem you know what I mean? To not, because I use real problems to just be white or to be neutral. Do you know what I mean? I was like, I'll just make the defendant Detalia and then it'll just be easy because everybody will just think I'm using my own name. 
but there's a dishonesty to that, right? So I didn't want to do that because I really do want to take a moment to point out the systemic racism that's in the system. And But I do feel that, of course, like every Black person sitting in my class has to deal with the emotions of that where every white person in the class is like, ho-hum, no big deal. And I've just had to make my peace with that emotional hump. That's the price. Like, I can't, I don't want to be dishonest and whitewash the problem because then we're just ignoring a larger issue. And I'd rather have a 10 minute conversation about the larger issue and then teach the actual problem as it played out. But it's hard. It's like complicated because they're going to go into the world and be lawyers. I want to prepare them for the idea that no, this is what it is, you know, and, and you just have to have time to process all the feelings. How are your kids? Are they, how aware are they of what happened in the United States last summer? They are very aware of it. You know, the radio is playing all the time. So they know that they actually, the question that my eldest daughter asked me was, why are all these people rioting? And for the first time in my life, I had to explain racism to my child. And I, I thought probably the best time because she's going into high school. So it's kind of the age where kids are just a little bit nastier. So I had to explain to her, I said, you know, this situation happened over there. And a lot of black people are very angry right now because this wouldn't have happened if it was a white guy. And it's more, it's a lot worse because it's a police officer. And there is always issues with black people and police officers in America. So they're aware of it. They, again, I think they kind of have the same attitude as I had as a child, like, that doesn't happen around here. You know, there's no issues. And I think seeing me as the person that I am, they don't feel any kind of abuse any in any uh, racism or anything that comes my way. I think because of the vibes that I give off, I'm just like, I'm here. I know who I am. People look at me and they see that people look at me, but they assume it's because I'm the size that I am. I'm not, I'm not the average size woman that's walking to the school. Do they know how famous so, you are? Yeah. Yeah. They're just like, oh, for good sake. <laughs> if I, well, I want to talk about I also now I want to talk about body image because yeah. you know it was interesting in the beginning you were talking about you were really small then you were really big then there was this period of time where you were fat I want to talk about before starting into this journey for you as an athlete what was your ideal like beauty ideal of the female body I guess more athletic I kind of loved you know the Olympics and I enjoyed a little bit of tennis so it's more of an athletic kind of build but coming from a family of mine that all the women are just fat obese diabetic you know so I'm used to being around larger women but in the I mean it wasn't really media back then it was like little girly magazines it they were never my face that I saw in those magazines but when I did get the little card you get the little swapsy cards that you put in I don't know if you get those over there we kind of collection cards of Olympians so it's more the athletic side of it of athletic build but all I actually saw in real life was fat obese large women so I was just kind of destined to be another one of those women you know that's how I thought and it was actually I went to a funeral and you know that everyone's there's like full of people there's just hundreds of people at these places and a speaker stood up and said that he had children to go to the food first because everyone obviously just goes to eat we want children to go and get food first and diabetics half the room stood up 
half the room stood up when diabetics were mentioned. I just sat there and I was like, I said to my mum, I said, is this what my life is going to be like? I said, everyone in this room is diabetic. She said, pretty much, yeah. Wow. No, something's got to stop. <laughs> something's got to give. Someone's got to break the cycle because I'm not going to be, yeah, I'm diabetic. No, I'm not. <laughs> Unless I can't <laughs> help it. Unless I can't help it, then I'm not, you know. And that's the way that, I saw, I saw my life. I saw myself um, as just being another one of those statistics. Is that what sort of motivated you? Like when? Yeah. Yeah. Kind of. I was just like, I'm just, I like your way. I, you know, at the time I felt like I was attractive anyway. I was just larger, but I couldn't wear the clothes that my friends were wearing. I couldn't wear the clothes that I'd see. I couldn't just walk into any clothes shop and buy something off the shelf. So it was those kind of moments that I started to to sort of think back about what I wanted to do with my own body and then I had children and of course that just everything went out the window <laughs> all my plans gained four stone with both of them and actually became quite content just being a fat mum you know I was quite happy just you know I've, I just had children I've got children I you know this is how I'm supposed to look and then it was actually I don't know about a year or so into the sport that I started to my physique changed I started to get muscle that I'd never had before um, my husband originally said that he didn't like the way my body was changing and I was like well that just means I'm going to go get more muscle because I quite like it <laughs> and then eventually he was like actually no I do I was like it's too late I don't care I don't care anymore so there was some cracks anyway so as as coming into last year actually Coming into sort of May time, we I think we were just coming to the point of separation. And I was like, do you know what? I don't actually like what I see in the mirror. I felt fat. I felt unhealthy. I felt bloated and tired all the time. So I decided just to go on a diet. And I'd never done diets before. I hired a nutritionist and it seems to be doing the trick now. So I now see myself as the athletic person that I saw in those little tiny swapsy cards <laughs> when I was a child. That's fantastic. Is that when you started working with Eddie Hall? So that w- that was just a video promotional shoot. It makes me cringe watching that video, to be honest, because <laughs> I was like, I was a week out from the Arnold's. Yeah. I was tired. I'd had enough. He and he was well in the video or <laughs> at the Arnold's. <laughs> Both. But I mean, I-, I thought he would be a little bit difficult to work with. And I thought you handled it very well. Eddie Hall, Alex, is a strong man. Very big personality <laughs> mm-hmm. in the strong man world. He is very enthusiastic. He's very much a showman. Very lo- He loves the camera. Mm-hmm. And I-, I don't really like the camera. I'm not very good at um, sort of face-to-face into like camera interviews if I know that they're live or what or something like that so he was just like oh you need to do this and trying to help me with events he was like trying to get me to hop over the tire because we had a tire flip flip the tire then hop over and I was like I'm not going to do that when I think you would save time I was like I'm standing there with my hands on my hips no I'm just not doing it and <laughs> I didn't realize at the time I was doing that until I watched the video back and I had so many messages saying um you look like you've had enough of him talking or you look like you're really not interested. I was like, yeah, my face has just said everything. So, yeah. Uh, (laughs) Because you have daughters, I'm kind of curious. So in England, what is the prevailing like beauty image? I mean, that's what people were also so excited being back to the Royals, but the idea that Meghan Markle was there as a beauty image to like sort of counterbalance the beauty image of Kate Middleton and no, what? <laughs> because, because again, 
you know, she's so light and no, I agree. Well, then well, let's go there too. But just the <laughs> idea is like, what is the, like, what beauty ideals are your girls growing up with? Um, there's so many beautiful black English actresses. Yeah. And I, I do, I mean, I, we do sit and watch all sorts of films and programs. So, that, you know, I, I think more recently in the last year, there's a lot more culture going on in my house <laughs> and it's not forced. It's just subtle. So it, it's just sure. there. And I, you know, just didn't want them to kind of think that we lived in this lovely society where everyone's blonde hair and have, you know, skinny. My eldest daughter is going through the, like I said, the preteens. So her body shape is changing. She can't, I mean, she's very athletic herself. She plays football. She's, you know, she plays uh, rugby and all that sort of stuff. So she's very tall, thick legs. She's got mummy's bum and she's got quite broad shoulders. So she knows that she can't get into skinny jeans. She can't, she doesn't like wearing leggings because she's got the thick legs. Beautiful figure, but she knows that she won't be able to wear what the girl, even the girls that we saw in the park today, these tiny little crop tops and these little tiny shorts because we're just coming into early summer. She won't wear those and she knows that that's not how she wants to look. So I think with me doing what I do and she sees the girls that I compete against, I'm hoping, because I don't really know for sure, but I'm hoping that's what she's kind of looking up to. But it's so hard. It's so hard for girls with figures. And I understand that there, you know, it's because there has to be a, it's not easy to dress in the sense that you have to think about support for your boobs. So everything becomes a little bit more mindful. You can't just slip on, you know, a shift, you know what I mean? And just walk out in a sundress because everything for me, my description as a curvy woman is like, if I throw on a sundress, it's going to look very sexy. It isn't just going to look like I threw on a sundress to go out. So all of a sudden, like everything shifts the way the energy shifts and you, and I applaud women who are just like, fuck it. I'm just going to go wear whatever I want. But I was like, but that's not, I don't want to put that out in the world on a Saturday morning. Like I want to just flow with the sun and the air. And, and it's harder because then women need to think it through. And even I, and I mean, I remember as a preteen feeling very, I grew up with a beauty ideal that was very thin and it's something I struggle with. I mean, I'm 53 and I struggle, struggle, struggle with my menopausal body. We we, we talk about this all the time. I know, but it's like, it's, but I really struggle with it. So when I hear, you know, how, what your beauty ideal is and what you're doing with your children and raising, like I do, I get teary because I, it's beautiful. And it's something that I've spent a lot of hours in my life. I had an eating disorder. I've ha- I've spent so many wasted hours coveting a wayfish body that I will never have, you know, and it's, and so that embracing of who you are. And even if your daughter's already saying, well, I don't even want to do that. I, you know, this is what makes me feel good. It's just such a beautiful place to be because at 13, I was basically transitioning into, I'm only going to have one diet Coke and a half a bagel all day long and throw up everything else in order to wear the crop top and the short shorts, mm. you know? I wear the crop tops and short shorts now and I'm 53 and I don't care. I have cellulite, you know. Well, yeah. Well, I, well, you're, yes, but you are the goddess, the one. 
and I am just Alexandra Detalia. <laughs> could be goddess the one as long as you believed it. Mm. Well, I believe myself as an empress, but I want to. So, but then I have people dressing me in my own imagination. Oh, lovely. <laughs> I do. I think that's fairly important, though, is is the way that I have, the way that I present myself. You know, if the, I mean, there are times that I want to wear something and I can't get it on or because of the way that my shape is now, like some of the clothes I had years ago, I can't, just, just won't do it around my, my back. But then there's also an outfit I found in my wardrobe from about five years ago, still got the label on it, couldn't get into it then, and I can get into it now. And I was showing the girls and they're, oh, that looks nice. My daughter told me I looked pretty yesterday. And we were just going to the park. And I was like, thank you, darling. That, you know, that means a lot to me. But because of the way that I dress myself and I like to be the brightest one, I know that I stand out. So if I'm going to stand out, I'm going to stand out. So, and I, you know, I, I like looking pretty. I like wearing floaty dresses, tight dresses, the booty shorts. Your workout fashion, I swear, <laughs> I, I try my best when I'm getting dressed in the morning to think, what would Andrea wear? Oh, I don't, I mean, I don't, do you know what? It just comes naturally. It's not like something that I'm going to just throw on color. I'm just like my whole wardrobe. There's just, <laughs> I think I've got one pair of black trousers and one skirt, one black skirt. Everything has color. What's your Insta handle? I'm going to look you up right now. Um, Andrea Thompson underscore strong woman. Okay. Do you find that when it comes to buying clothes, like for me, I wish, I wish I had the money. I would just have a tailor. So I would buy the clothes I wanted and then just have it tailor made to, to fit me because I do find shopping frustrating because it's mm. just the models for American clothes at my price point or it's just too, it's just too difficult. Like I just gave up. Sh- I mean, at, at a point I just decided to give up shopping. And when okay. I came to LA, you're going to laugh because I have big boobs and a small waist. I was like, it's LA. It's like the land of strippers. Like I should be able to find clothes that fit me, but I have yet to find a stripper store where I can buy those clothes. Like I just can't. <laughs> I just can't. Like, it's just so annoying. So yeah. it is, it's difficult. Again, it's been a little bit easier this year because well, I say this year, the shops have been closed, but losing a little bit of weight has kind of helped. However, before you know, I've always had big thighs. I've always had big hips. I've always had a big bum. So to try and find a pair of jeans and, and, to, and to fit a small waist doesn't happen. So I just yeah. stopped wearing jeans. And then jeggings came along, the elasticated waist, the jeans. You're a badass. So, um, <laughs> I'm just checking your <laughs> yeah. Instagram out. You are a badass. I mean, she's, she's legit. And <laughs> I mean, Alex, she's legit. One of the strongest women in the world. Legit. Yeah. This is why I get girling right now. And the other thing that I love about Andrea that makes me always so happy to see her videos is that she takes the time to be girly and beautiful and so feminine and lovely. And I, I have such a problem with the fitness industry as far as the clothing, because they don't really make clothing for the strength athlete. Nope. Right. All of the fitness wear is made for the like yoga girl. And, you know, and I struggle with this so much. I work for a, for a brand that does active wear and, you know, you can tell that all the bras and stuff like that are made for women who just do yoga. Like even CrossFit girls would struggle unless, well, that's not true. Cause most CrossFit girls that I know that are famous have no boobs at all. It's just so weird that there's this huge part of the fitness world that is completely underrepresented in, in the active wear 
That's true. That is so, I mean, I have no boobs, but I have a really big back. So to try and find a bra, just a supportive bra is virtually impossible. You know, I have pecs where my boobs should sit. And so I have a really large back. So that's, you know, I either just go braless or um, wear a sports bra every day. But yeah, you are right. There is, I mean, I've been sponsored by an activewear company for about three, four years now, and they provide me with all the support. They're high-waisted and they're just like fabulous colours. So it is difficult. It is really difficult. And I have tried other brands and they just ride up in my crotch area. Mm -hmm. I'm picking them out of my bum or, you know, you're kind of pulling them out from your armpits because they just don't. And then you just wear the free t-shirts because they're baggy. (laughs) That's what I mean. I do. I mean, this is where there's an opportunity right now to have sort of that change. Who designs the clothes, right? And so who are the companies that are designing the clothes for these women? So you're sort of saying, well, wait, I have to wait till I get sponsored and then have a conversation. Like when there are so many women who are aspiring to be like you, or who are already like you, or just have different bodies. And again, it's that constant systemic idea of beauty that is like eliminating, is just making legions of women feel bad about themselves. Mm -hmm. And it's so funny because it's so anti-capitalist, if you think about it. Because if there were clothes out there for, for everyone, we'd all buy more. Do you know what I mean? Like you're saying, I'm just wearing the freebies. It's, I hope somebody's listening to this and saying, well, there's an idea to make some money because it's ridiculous. There's clothes made by women. The company I work for is Lorna Jane and Lorna Jane makes the clothes. But again, she's got this different beauty ideal. Like she's a white skinny blonde woman from Australia that does yoga. And I bet you because that's all she does. She probably also diets crazy. You know what I mean? And I'm so not into diet culture. I mean, I just, I don't, you know what I mean? I I feel like part of this yoga Pilates, non-actual exercise trend is also feeding the diet culture that we have, which then feeds the bad body image. And, you know, and and right now, every woman that walks into my store tells me how they've gained the COVID-15. And I'm like, so now it's got a word. (laughs) It's got a word. They've gained COVID-15. And so, you know, everybody's looking to lose weight. Yeah. I have heard so much of that myself. Everybody, anybody and everybody, please, can you help me do this? Can you know, I've gained so much. I'm drinking everything. And I'm just like, first of all, we're in a pandemic. No one's experienced this before. So your body is just dealing with the stress of what's going on around you. And yeah, you're right. Everyone is just, especially now that we're coming into summer as well, everyone's panicking because bikinis don't fit, the shorts don't fit. And they're all going, all the Juice Plus adverts are coming out and these silly fad diets are coming out. You can see it just happening. And it's very gradual, especially with our over here with the gyms are due to reopen in two weeks time. So we've been like completely closed down. So with the gyms due to be open, people are now panicking that they can't get into their gym clothes. And what am I going to do? I need to start working out to to diet here just to diet to get to the gym. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. doesn't make sense. I mean, I have the same issue. You know, I get people saying silly, weird things on my Instagram about, you know, food and what do I eat? And mind you, I've put on a lot of weight during the pandemic as well. And I have a nutritionist, Uh you know, but just my body was holding on to it. Yeah. 
Well, stress will do that, right? I mean, yeah. the stress in the pandemic will, any kind of stress, your body will just hold on to the weight. It's a safety thing. It goes back yeah. to the reptilian thing. Your body is like, oh, danger. Yeah. Let me hold on to weight in case you're going to starve in a month. Like it's, it, that's, it's sort of natural that our cortisol would have been higher. We wouldn't be processing food the same way. Somebody needs to come on TV and talk about this, you know, for the average person, because it's happening to men too. I mean, the amount of ads that I'm seeing for Nutrisystem for men, you know what I mean? Like it's so, and and usually men don't really participate in this sort of diet culture, but Noom, which is this app has been having a whole bunch of men on there. And so it's not just women. I think it's everybody is, they're having these issues around it. We need to start normalizing. I mean, I don't think it should be normal to, to be unhealthy, but it should be normal to just be normal. Yeah. Part of the reason why I love watching British television is that people tend to look more normal mm-hmm. than American mm-hmm. celebrities because it is really hard. Like even for me in my fifties, you know, you look at stuff and you're like, this is normal. They're just, they're showing like a middle-class family doing something and everybody is super skinny and everybody has amazing clothes that fit perfectly. And every, you know, it's just this, even though like I'm smart enough to sort of separate, no, I'm just watching entertainment, but you know, it does seep into your psyche. So in the end, it just becomes, I sort of shut down and I tend not to watch a lot of television partly as self-protective. I read a lot because then I just have, I use the images are from my imagination and it's healthier. It's hard, you know? I mean, and I do think that's what makes everybody sort of feel bad, but you don't. And also the thing is, is you don't see strong women portrayed. Like that's the other thing you don't see. You don't see women, strong women with muscles. Like you just don't really see that. No, that's why you're so important, Andrea. That's why you're so vital. (laughs) I don't know. I think because uh, around where I live and probably for a good 60 to 100 mile radius, there is no other strong woman around. And I think I kind of, I put my area on the map for a start because of the media attention I got. And also it's, I've kind of educated so many people um, I still get asked if I'm a bodybuilder, if I'm still bodybuilder, I'm like, no, this belly doesn't have bodybuilder inside it. But but when people see me, they just don't know what to do. I get so many like horrified looks because I'm not, I'm quite short. I'm only about, I'm only five foot five. So to be quite large and muscular and to be quite short, I don't look like anybody. So it's like, what do you do? What is it that you do? I've been asked if I'm a boxer before. <laughs> If I'm a wrestler, I'm like, no. (laughs) So people just don't know what strong women do or are or what they look like. Is that sort of true, though, even for the strong men movement? Because like when I think of weightlifting or I knew, I guess, about Olympic weightlifting, but I didn't really know so much. Really, until Lenya sort of got involved, like where I started to sort of say, oh, there are stratifications, like different, basically to wholly different sports. Like I wouldn't have even known. Do you find that it's not about you, but it's really about just the ideas that nobody knows the difference? Yeah, 100% that. Because I, the response to the when I say I'm a strong woman is I didn't know women did that yeah. all the time, every single time. And I, to be honest, when I first started, I didn't even know women did it either. So, you know, I'm not like completely against what they say. It's coming around slowly. The idea is you know, people are getting more used to it, but it's, if I have to try and explain it to someone, I just am a strength athlete. 
because it's a lot easier. I lift weights so much easier than going, well, you know, the guys that do it at Christmas, because it's on Christmas time over here. I do that. Oh, what? They lift those big balls and they pull the trucks. Yeah, I do that. Oh, I didn't know women did that. No, well, we do. There's a lot of us. <laughs> <laughs> is there an international community for what you do? Uh, there is, but just not really here. It's not not very British-based. It's definitely massive over there. Where, you know, it's a massive shock. When I first came to the States for it, it was very much celebrated. But over here, it's, it's a small group of us around the country. The Arnold has really put a, put that that in the on the yes. map. It's yes. okay. I've been hearing the Arnold the whole time, and you know this is aging me and making me sound very ignorant. But seriously, I think of Arnold Schwarzenegger every well, time. He's the founder. Oh, I was right. You're right. No, You're right. Not <laughs> as ignorant as I think yes. I am. Like I was like, is that Arnold Schwarzenegger? Okay. Yeah. yeah. It's his event. Oh, Kudos okay. to him because now it encompasses um, CrossFit as well because yeah. Rogue uh, is a big sponsor. So it's a fitness. It's a fitness spectacle. Yes. Okay. You know, so so what is the Arnold? And by the way, I think now we need to have the Andrea. Yes. We do. Oh my gosh, that would be amazing. I mean, why not? I mean, he just started it after himself. Like I. Okay, but what's the what is the event? The Arnold. It's a fitness festival, right? Yeah, it's, like, it's a three days, isn't it? It's a three-day sports festival, basically, that's based in Columbus, Ohio. So you have literally any sports. You've got cheerleading. You've got, what is the kettle, the kettlebell? Just uh, random people just swinging kettlebells on the stage. Anything and everything. Pole dancing. I think they had a pole dancing. Yeah, they had a pole dancing. Well. Those yeah, girls. so. Man. I know. I was just like, wow, can I just know? Actually, just don't not <laughs> <laughs> Pole's not, not strong enough for a strong woman. So, yeah, it's just a massive festival. And it's for strong women, especially. We've only just in the last few years become pro athletes. They've introduced a pro athlete sort of sector for us. So there's always been a pro men's. You go from amateur and then it would just stop there as amateur women. Mm-hmm. But we've we've been introduced to as a, as professional athletes now. So we still don't quite get what the men get. So you still not quite it's like huge the, the, the gap of uh, prize money and it, all those kind of things is still huge but it's coming together I think in the next couple of years they've realized that we do just as much as the guys do we work just as hard we train just as hard we sacrifice just as much so and they're the, also just as popular we are yeah we are just as popular well, that's and always what it comes down to because all this in the end comes down to money and so yes, it does. as you get more popular well what is this a sport in the olympics <sighs> no oh sorry it's not, sorry unfortunately. neither is powerlifting neither is no powerlifting. so what is, what do they have in the olympics that's different to help the novices understand so with the Olympics, it's just weightlifting, isn't it? It's just three different Olympic lifting. That's it for okay. um, any kind of strength. There's just not a, there's not one federation for strongman. There are so many different people who can just put on a strongman show. And although the rules should really be the same, the rules are never the same for every event. So there is just not one governing board Mm. where the standards are the same you know the judges have to pass tests there isn't that in strongman at all so I think because of those disparities there's not going to be at Olympic level the the quality just isn't good enough I don't think it's a fun it's a fun sport it's fun to do but well it'll get um, there I mean it sounds like it's still a growing sport definitely yeah it's still growing 
especially the women's side, it's, it's definitely growing. So well, I know what, powerlifting, we have IPF and that's, but so we technically should be in a, an Olympic sport, powerlifters. I don't understand why we're not, but it's all right. <laughs> so what are your plans for your life as the pandemic ebbs? Well, I mean, because there were no, all our competitions were kind of cancelled or postponed. The next one should be September, but that's only penciled in. And then the Arnold again was moved from March to September, October time. So until I know anything is actually concrete set in stone, I've just been concentrating on my fitness and just losing some fat. It being, I think my biggest, I was about 135 kilos if I'm not using that, if I'm not competing, I don't need to be there. So now I'm about 98 kilos and just enjoying being lighter, fitter. I can run around the block without dying. I can do one, some, you know, the CrossFit that I've been doing has been great. So I'm just focusing on fitness and keeping my life together. Obviously I've had a lot of changes <laughs> in my, my yeah. personal circumstances. So I'm just look, you know, looking after my girls, just embracing just taking advantage of the time that that um, I'm able to be with them because once comp season starts, then, you know, I do become distracted and sacrifices start coming in. But have I've got a couple been, of... Have the kids been going to school or are they um, remote? We were remote for three months. Mm. Three months? Yeah, three months we were remote. Homeschooling is a nightmare. <laughs> I was like, I was one of those mums, but they've been back at school for three weeks now. So, but they're now, we've now got Easter break. So they're back on holiday for two weeks, but they really coped well, to be honest. My, my youngest was a bit bored sure. because obviously the kids weren't allowed to play out, but my eldest, she's with the high school. She was very much online all day. Yeah. Well, that's, that was the life. So yeah. it's sort of exciting to sort of think about us getting out. What's the, va- how's the vaccinations rolling out by you? That's what I was going to ask next. Thick and fast, thick and fast. I've had my first vaccine. So yeah, they are rolling them out very quickly. We, we started off with the old and vulnerable, so about, about 80 plus and the ill and the, you know, the, the sort of chronic sicknesses. And then the aged groups have just been rolling down and down. So we're now at the sort of 20s to 30s age wow. groups. And we've, we've done a lot. We have done a lot. A lot of people I know have had vaccines. And there's a lot of anti-vaxxers out there. I was like, okay, fine, whatever. But I want to fly. So I know that I need to have my injection to fly. Yeah. I don't understand <laughs> the anti-vaxxer. We have a lot of anti-vaxxers yeah. too. It'll be really interesting to sort of see how herd immunity works when we have people refusing to get the vaccination. Because I, yeah. I actually have both shots. So I am I'm free. Yeah. So it is a good... It is a good feeling. There is this sort of lightness that I wasn't expecting. Even though my life hasn't changed, my significant other isn't, he doesn't have any shot yet. So nothing's really totally open yet, but I just feel, you know, freer. I mean, there is this sort of sense of freedom that you get from having it that you don't realize you've been living with this sort of blanket over you for a year. And so it's, it is an amazing feeling. I was quite apprehensive, to be honest. When I got the text to say that I'd been uh, invited to go, I was very apprehensive to getting it. I was like, I don't know how I'm going to react to it. I don't know if yeah. it's been out long enough. It's a bit, And again, that's all the media kind of frenzy that, that kind of kicked in with it. But ultimately, I just knew that I would need to have some sort of 
vaccine passport to get on a plane to go anywhere and just did it. And even afterwards, I did feel quite anxious after I'd had it done because the particular brand of vaccine that I had was then in the news because it was causing blood clots apparently across Europe. And oh, a lot so of you got the AstraZeneca. Yeah. And a lot of the European countries are pulling the AstraZeneca. But it's just down to politics over here because we're now in Brexit as well. And all the right. European countries hate us. So <laughs> it's so just, true. They're just like, blaming the vaccine now. So it's absolutely true. I mean, part of it is, is we don't know. I mean, we don't know the long-term effects of, of this vaccine. It just wasn't studied long enough. But it, at some point, you also, life is about risk. And to that sense, I was like, look, I have no problem staying home because I don't need to, I don't need to die. And it's, and I can make the choice to stay home and be safe and wear a mask. And, and then with the vaccine, I was like, you know, they did the test. We, there has to be a trust. Is the trust, is the public trust so broken that we're, you know, then, and I'm glad more and more people seem to be deciding to do it because it makes me feel that the public trust isn't as broken as I thought it was. But it's also (laughs) highly politicized here because of our ex-president. So the vast majority of the anti-vaxxers are those people. And I mean, I'm a mean bitch and I'm like, you know what? Let them not take it. Let them all pass away. Good riddance, less Republicans for us to deal with. But that is not a nice view. And I'm sure and don't I don't want any haters putting any comments on the, on the <laughs> podcast about it. But I mean, the thing is, it was highly it, it definitely falls along party lines here in this country. And it's funny, AstraZeneca was not approved by the FDA here. Ah. It's there's been some issues with the data. So I got Moderna. Uh-huh. What did you Pfizer? Yeah. So, wow. We all got different ones. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but I wouldn't, I, you know, the things that, I mean, I went in because I do a a fair amount of travel. I've had so many vaccinations for so many different kinds of things. People are like, what were you worried? I was like, the needle is smaller than other vaccination needles. I didn't, you know, I I didn't even know it, it happened. I had a little stiffness in my arm and then I, you know, I do, I have people do the Iron Man, but I have an iron stomach. I was like, I nothing, I don't get affected that way. So I, you know, it's, I didn't have the same worry as other people, but I mean, it's a concern, but it's a risk. I want to get on a plane. I mean, that's yeah. in the end, it's, I want to get on a plane. I want to travel. I want to stop worrying. I, and I'm going to see my parents in 18 days, you know? Ugh, I'm so jealous. And so, so jealous. I can't wait to hug my mommy. Oh, so with that, I think we're going to close because when Lenya says she wants to hug her mommy, I think it's time. Andrea, shout out your your Instagram handle again for people so they can follow you because I think a lot of people are going to want to follow you from this. So it's Andrea Thompson underscore strong woman on Instagram. And then I think we need to do a whole episode on boobs. Yes. Yeah. And Andrea, yeah. we want you to come back on. I do think we need yeah. to have a conversation about it because I don't think people really talk about it. And it, it's something where women, yeah, we'll just leave it there. And it's funny because yeah. all three of us have very different body shapes, right? Yes. So it would be a very interesting conversation. Mm-hmm. We could talk about body composition as well. Yeah, because. Oh boy, I'll have to take a Valium <laughs> for that one, but I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> All right, everybody, listen to us at Women Bridging the Gap, wherever you find your podcasts. <laughs> find us on the website, womenbridgingthegap.com. Instagram, anyway. Facebook, everywhere. Yeah, and please share. And okay, have a good week. Bye. Bye.